Biographies, what do you do with them? I'm not a voracious biographical reader, but I do read a little bit in terms of biography. Some of it I read for entertainment. Other things I read for, uh, you know, more encouragement, influences in my life. I think biographies have the, have the um, ability to teach us about life, to possibly help us to learn about others' attitudes and thus reflect on our own. It's a challenge, I believe, or can be a challenge, I believe, to our beliefs, our values, our thoughts, our actions and behaviors. It's all right, I think, to read a biography for the actions and behaviors. So what did they do? Where did they go? Sometimes really exciting stuff. But I think what's even more challenging and intriguing in a biography is to understand their beliefs and thoughts. How and why did they do what they did? I have the privilege these last three years of getting to know my mom. That sounds a little off-putting. But I hadn't lived near my mom for over 42 years. And since her second husband passed away, she came to live here in Three Hills, now is in long-term care. I visit her twice a week, and one of the things I do is I take photo albums with me, things that she recognizes. And I just don't, I, I sit down and we, you know, among the other things we talk about, occasionally we get into these photo albums and we don't just talk about what did you do here and where did you go there, but you talk about the why. Why did it happen? How did it happen? And it's intriguing to find out the gospel heritage, the value of Christ's life in her life. I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. William Carey often touted as the father of the modern missionary movement, has been described in what people say over 50 biographies, numerous, hundreds of articles and blogs, quoted thousands of times. I think we could spend hours regaling his accomplishments. I want, I want to introduce you briefly to this man. However, my intent this morning is not to talk about the accomplishments of William Carey, what he did and where he went, but through the filter of my own thoughts, as you would do a biography, to present the how and why of what he did. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would challenge your beliefs, your thinking, and possibly even your actions and behaviors as we go through this morning. William Carey. Can we get a, there we go. The timeline of his life. These aren't all that he did, but there are some highlights. He was born in 1761 in Palsbury, England. At the age of 12 and 13, he began to teach himself Latin and Hebrew. Fascinating. We, re, we tend to back away from that. Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. 
He followed, endeavoring to, to gain a good income, as they did oftentimes in those, those days. He followed in, the, in an apprenticeship as a shoemaker with a fellow by the name of Thomas Old. And in the shoemaker shop, they would get talking about the Bible, scriptures, the gospel. You'll see that he left the Church of England in 1779 as an 18-year-old. He was a dissenter, became a Baptist preacher, and uh, as a 20-year-old was married to a, to a gal by the name of, of Dorothy, or as he affectionately called her, Dolly. Shortly after that, he began some itinerant preaching around the area every second week. So he was involved where he was planted. He was baptized by a fellow by the name of John Ryland, who was a famous Baptist preacher. Uh, he baptized in uh, 1783, and he ends up, because of Thomas's, Thomas Old's death, he ends up, he and his young wife, end up caring for Thomas Old's family. Fascinating. As he was working as a shoemaker, other things were on his mind, though. He was moving into the area of ministry and wanted to be involved heavily in ministry, and so he tried for ordination, but he failed. But he continued pastoring. And it was in 1785 that he got a hold of Captain Cook's journals, talking about the world that was being discovered. And it began to fascinate him. A couple of years later, he was ordained. And five years after that, in 1792, he published what is shortened in name to an inquiry. It was an inquiry on missions. It's the inquiry where the uh, phrase, expect great things, attempt great things, is, is born. During that year, because of what God had laid on his heart, he helped found the Baptist Missionary Society. In 1793, he was commissioned as a missionary to Bengal. Bengal uh, is, is uh, or the place where he's commissioned to is in the northeast of India. So right at the top of the Bengal Bay. Uh, and that's where he ended up. He arrives in India, settles in a jungle area, uh, becomes a tent maker, and begins to manage an indigo factory where they produced colored clothes and dyes and so forth as part of that. It wasn't shortly after that, and probably because of the stress, that Dorothy, his wife, uh, had mental health problems, severe mental health problems. Over the course of their marriage together, they had seven children, three, whom, three of whom died earlier in life. Uh, scarcity, they were just scavenging for, uh, for resources and food, so forth. But during that time, he uh, completed a draft version 
of the Bengali New Testament. He moved to a place where he is famous for in terms of uh, his ongoing legacy, Semapore. And in Semapore, which is just north of Kolkata, which is just by the, by the Bay of Bengal, it was there that he took on the, uh, the mission. He printed that Bengali Bible, and he became so fluent in Indian dialects that he was called to uh, teach, be a professor of languages in Calcutta at Fort William College. In 1804, he established the first of 19 mission stations in that whole area. 1807, Dorothy passes away. He marries a year later a gal by the name of Charlotte, a Danish gal. Semapore was a Danish protectorate just within the uh, Indian Empire, as it were, the British Indian Empire. And he founded a college shortly after, 10 years later. He organized the Agriculture Society of Bengal, and then his wife, Charlotte dies. He marries again a year later. And then as his life was coming and his work was coming to an end, the uh, Semapore, the college, and the mission there uh, ended up in financial jeopardy and William Carey died uh, in 1834. The time of William Carey was, a time of the, was the time of the Enlightenment. It was the time of the Industrial Revolution. It was a momentous time in world history. The Enlightenment was a European intellectual movement of the 17th, 18th centuries in which ideas concerning God and reason and mankind and man's purpose and humanity were synthesized into a worldview that was sweeping across the Western, Western thinking. It was the time of the Industrial Revolution, the transition to new manufacturing processes in Europe and the United States, going from hand production to mechanized tools, going from uh, chemical, uh, moving into the area of chemical manufacturing, iron production, the increase of steam power, the use of water. It was a, the Industrial Revolution led to growth in population. And people were getting about the world on steamships and trains. This was Carey's world, expanding, growing, exciting. And his accomplishments replicated those times. This following is what I'm going to read, although this is just a, uh, a transcript some, of something from the 90s. I'm going to read... Um, a uh, pieces of um, the accomplishments that Carey did, took on uh, is from the book The Legacy of the William Carey, a model for the trans transformation of culture. Let me read. This man is amazing. He was an industrialist. He was the first Englishman to introduce the steam engine to India and the first to make indigenous paper for the publishing industry. He was an economist. He introduced the idea of a savings bank to India to fight, to fight the all-pervasive social uh, evil of usury. He was a medical humanitarian. He was the first man 
who led the campaign for our humane treatment of leprosy patients. He was a, medic, a media pioneer. He was the father of print technology in India. He brought to India the modern science of printing and publishing and then taught and developed it. He was an agriculturalist. He founded India's Agricultural Society in the 1820s, 30 years before that same society was founded in Britain. He was a translator and educator. He became a professor of Bengali, Sanskrit, and Marathi at Fort William College in Calcutta, where civil servants were trained. Kerry began dozens of schools for Indian children of all castes and launched the first college in Asia at Saramapur near Calcutta. He was an advocate for women's rights. He was the first man to stand against both the ruthless murders and the widespread oppression of women. Kerry opened school for, schools for girls. When widows converted to Christianity, he arranged marriages for them rather than, rather than allowing them to be burned alive, which was the practice. It was Carey's persistent 25-year battle against Sati that finally led to Lord Bentick's famous edict in 1829, banning one of the most abdominal, abominable rather, of all the religious practices in the world, widow burning. He was a moral reformer and transformer of culture. He was the father of the Indian Renaissance of the 19th and 20th centuries. His this worldly spirituality with as strong an emphasis on justice and love for others as, as on the love for God marked the turning point of Indian culture from a downward to an upward trend. William Carey was all these things. And he also pioneered the Protestant church in India and translated or published the Bible in 40 different languages. He was an evangelist who used every available medium to illuminate the dark facets of India with the light of truth, unquote. Many changes, many transitions through the course of his life. Throughout the course of transitions and change in my life, in seeking God's directions, among the questions I ask are three main questions. And over the course of these last couple of months in reacquainting myself with Carrie's life and in reflection upon his life, I've asked myself these three questions. These questions are questions of direction, of God seeking, of seeking God's direction in my life. And I would suggest to you that asking these and similar questions should be something that happens throughout all of our lives. Not just at pivotal points in our career or pivotal points in our life, but all along the way. Even at my ripe old age, I ask these questions. And I trust I'll ask them till God says otherwise. Today these questions become a framework for us in reflecting upon Carrie's life. The first question is, am I making room for God to move in and through my life? Or does the clutter of my life, does the clutter of my thinking push God to the outside, to the margins, 
I would suggest to you that Carrie exemplified an attitude of listening and learning from others. I think he would have been the last one to declare himself the modern father of mission, the father of modern missions. He was severely limited in the resources that he could seek. As a cobbler, as a, as a shoemaker, he didn't have availability to a lot of books. But he had an insatiable desire to learn from others. In his treatise, The Inquiry, in section two of the entreaties, he traces the history of missions from Pentecost, the biblical Pentecost, right through to the times of his contemporaries, the Moravian Brethren and the Wesleys. As I mentioned before, he obtained, obtained a copy of the journal of Captain Cook's Lost Voyage. And through his study of this volume, he began thinking and focusing on world missions. It is said of Carey that in his shoemaking business, he took, the scrap, he took scraps of leather and he made a globe that he sat at the side of his cobbler's bench. He made a rough map of the world that he put up beside his cobbler's bench. And though confined to that bench, his mind and his prayers soared to far-off peoples and places. He said this as a quote. To know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. Cool, eh? I would also suggest that he listened to God's word and to God's voice. Kerry believed in the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. In fact, his words, his very words are this. The Bible is the very word of God, uniquely inspired by the Holy Spirit, a totally truthful revelation from God, an infallible authority for doctrine, ethics, and all matters pertaining to the Christian life. Those were his words. He took God's word seriously. But he also took God's voice seriously. He took that biblical commitment to the level of a fervent relationship with his Lord. The quote that I have up there gives us some insight into that. He said this, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. You may be fervent in seeking God's direction. You may be desirous of knowing that and sort of having God's stamp of approval on the direction you're going. But you can desire that all you want. If you're not making room for God in you and through you, you'll be asking that question about what is God's direction of my life for a long time. So are you making room 
in your life? Are you making room through your life for God's direction? The second question is this. Am I desiring to make my maximum impact for God's kingdom? Now, note that these are not questions that I've come up with out of the blue. These are questions that I've heard other people ask of me. People who I trust, mentors who I trust. So these aren't original by any means. But they are evocative. Am I desiring to make my maximum impact for God's kingdom? This is a question of direction. It's not necessarily a question of location or vocation. As Eugene Peterson said in his book, I apply to William Carey. I believe he pursued a long journey in the same direction. It's a question of pilgrimage. It's not necessarily a question of place. It's a question of a journey, just not a place of employment. He said, William Carey said these words. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Ah. So how do we know what things matter? How do we do the things that matter? It's interesting. In the last 10, 15 years, the mainstream advice for answering that question has been, find your passion. I, I, I want to suggest to you that that's incomplete thinking. Maybe even lousy thinking. Because passion is easily misunderstood and misinterpreted. The dictionary says that passion is a compelling, powerful emotion or feeling. So if I'm going to find my passion, I need to crank up my emotion and follow that? I'm afraid too many of us, at too many times in our lives, including myself, have followed our passions to no fruitful gain. Passion is an outcome. Passion is not an input. When I met my wife, passion was an outcome of our growing experience together. Here on campus, it's great fun. I've been here for like half a century. Well, not quite, but, you know, over a quarter of a century. Ooh. It's great fun to watch the guy-girl relationships on campus. You know, that initial light-headed, fawning, Google-eyed wonder kind of stuff that happens. You might call that impassion. I call that infatuation. I was infatuated with my grade three teacher, Miss Page. It wasn't reciprocal, by the way. But that's infatuation. Passion comes from involvement. 
from participating, from doing. You become passionate about something you're already involved in. Passion is an outcome, not an input. Don't find your passion. Let me ask you another question. Instead, do what's valuable. Do what's valuable. That's what William Carey did. Wherever he was, shoemaker, in the jungles, at Saramapur, and teaching in a, in, a, uh, in a university, in a college, and establishing and doing all the things he did, I believe he did what was valuable. He did things that had value for life. If only it was for a season, it had value. You're here at college for a season, it has a value. He did things that lined up with his values. They didn't contradict them. In fact, his values grew as he, as he continued to minister. He says, I value this more than I ever did before. And do things that you can add value to. So don't. Don't find your passion. Do what's valuable. He said this, expect great things. Attempt great things. Add the value. Make room for God to work in and through your life. Make it your desire to have your maximum impact for God. And third question is, am I faithful to what has God has called me to in the present? <clears throat> Excuse me. Am I faithful to what God has called me to in the present? <clears throat> I suggest that calls us to two things. If we're gonna be faithful to what God has called us to in the present, two things stand out in my mind, two things stand out from Carrie's life. We need to persevere with hope. And secondly, we need to trust in God's supply. Carrie said this, if the biographer gives me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Paul in Romans talks about that. He says that when the going gets tough, we can rejoice in that toughness. We can rejoice in that suffering because suffering produces endurance or perseverance. And perseverance builds character. And character 
gives hope. And I love these next words. And hope does not disappoint us. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So where God has called you right now, where God is calling you in an X number of months, persevere with hope. Secondly, trust in God's supply. Carrie says this, I was once young and now I'm old, but not once have I been witness to God's failure to supply my need when first I had given for the furtherance of his work. He has never failed in his promise, so I cannot fail in my service to him. Wow. He took the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4 where Paul says, My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He took those words literally. William Carey was adept in respecting and reaching people from both high and low degree. His own humble origins helped him identify with the poor and the outcasts. His abilities as a linguist, translator, and professor opened doors for witness among government officials and scholars. He used all of these settings to witness to his faith in Christ. I found this. It's a statement that the mission of Saramapur would make three times a year as they gathered together. It's a covenant. It's an amazing covenant. To set an infinite value on men's souls. Wow. What a call. To acquaint ourselves with the snares which hold the minds of the people. So you understand your culture. To abstain from whatever deepens India's prejudice against the gospel. I don't want to, I don't want to put anything in the way that will stop the message of Christ from going forth. To watch for every chance of doing the people good. Where can I do good? Where are the world's greatest needs? To preach Christ crucified as the grand means of conversions. To esteem and treat Indians always as our equal. To guard and build up the hosts that may be gathered. In other words, to build up the church. To cultivate their spiritual gifts ever pressing upon them their missionary obligations since Indians only can win India for Christ. To labor unceasingly in biblical translation, to be instant in the nurture of personal religion, and lastly, to give ourselves without reserve to the cause 
not counting even the clothes we wear our own. I leave you with these two quotes. Carrie said this, I feel that it is good to commit my soul, my body, and my all into the hands of God. Then the world appears little, the promises great, and God an all-sufficient portion. I see more and more of my own insufficiency for the great work that I'm called to. The truths of God are amazingly profound. The souls of men infinitely precious. My own ignorance very great. And all that I do is for God who knows my motives and ends. So I challenge you this morning. Make room for God to move in and through your life. Listen, learn from others. Listen to his word and to his voice. Make it, your, make it your desire to have your maximum impact for God and for his kingdom. Pursue it as a long journey in the same direction. Do what's valuable. Value for life. Do what value has or has for life. Do what lines up with your values. Add value to it. And lastly, be faithful to what God has called you in the present. Persevere with hope and trust in his supply. Let's pray. Father, Father, you know our hearts. May we be led in your way by your Spirit. Take these words which are just words of a mortal and make them immortal in our spirits. Amen. I believe you are dismissed. Be warm, be filled, and be gone.